Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Intersect. This is a podcast dedicated to the celebration and the promotion of the convergence or the intersection of God, the world, and the church. My name is Matt Skolnick, and I am your host. I am also the executive director of Muskingum Valley Presbytery. We are a collection of about 70 churches that span 16 counties in eastern Ohio. We have an amazing episode for you today. But to begin with, let's just stop and take a moment to think about you and your church. How often does your church fundamentally re-envision ministry? How often do you stop and pull it all down and start from the ground up? Maybe you do this every 20 years. Maybe you do it every 30 years. Well, the truth of the matter is, is most churches hardly ever do it. And in fact, I know some churches who are running on ministry models that may have been powerful and effective a hundred years ago, but we don't live a hundred years ago. We live in 2022. So in this episode, I want to introduce you to the amazing Linda Leon. Linda is one of our pastors who has been loving college ministry for 30 years. She's full of energy and grace and passion. But more importantly, one of the things that I want you to hear from her is that she scratches, throws out, and begins a new ministry plan every five years. If you're asking yourself, how could you or your church even begin to minister to college students? This episode is a great place to start. You can get an introduction to the modern college student right here with Linda. But just as importantly, I want you to be able to hear how Linda and I wrestle with and think through what it means to create a ministry funnel or a ministry pipeline. How do we move people from the masses to welcoming them to be a vital and a healthy part of a Christian community. Let's get this started. It's going to be great. Welcome, everybody. I'm here at Malone University with Linda Leon. How are you, Linda? I'm doing well today. It's, Very, a, be- it's a beautiful autumn day. It is a great day. So, Linda, I know that you have been here in college ministry for a minute. Yeah, a little bit longer than a minute. This is my 30th year of campus ministry. Yes. And Linda Linda's a pro at this. She started on a parachurch organization kind of staff, and she still serves there, but at the same time, now you're employed by the university. That's right. I joined the CCO called the Coalition for Christian Outreach. Their office is based in Pittsburgh, and they now serve nationwide in various churches and And by the way, colleges. that makes Linda a Steelers fan? Oh, I am a Steelers fan, yes. She loves Permanis. I do love Permani Brothers. And the Potato Shack at Kennywood. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Kennywood, and I love Prandles Bakery. Yes, all okay. of those things. All of those things, very mm-hmm. good. Well, we just had to get those get that out of yes, the way. Yes, I was raised right in the Lord, as Proverbs <laughs> tells us to be, yes. Super fun. So I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, what, tell us a little bit about um, Malone University and what you do here. Sure. I actually was a student here in the dark ages, 
when television was black and white. Oh, and Linda, that is not true. <laughs> yes, it was close to that. And it was not black and white. No, it was Can I ask what year you graduated? I graduated in 93. 93, that's yes. not too long ago. Yes, with a communications and journalism major and was planning on being a public relations executive until the last semester of my senior year. And all of a sudden, I realized, nope, I want to be in campus ministry. Okay, so... Actually, I've never heard the story, so let's yeah. pause there. Tell us about that story. What happened in your senior year that said, no, I'm not going into the business world? I think it started probably in my sophomore year. There were CCO campus ministry staff serving at Malone, and they have been here since, I think, the early 80s. And a couple of them were pretty instrumental in my own Christian discipleship. And so um, one of them um, began to mentor me and... Um, I went to a summer opportunity called the Ocean City Beach Project where faith became really real to me. I understood that, that And that's God, when you said to yourself, faith is great. I just lay on the beach and exactly soak right. in the sun. That's right. If I can meet God there, then I'm in. <laughs> and so I realized that God cared more about um, my all of life and not just on Sunday. And it blew my mind. And so... I continued to be mentored by um, a couple of CCO staff and went to an important conference called Jubilee, which I now take students to every February. And by my senior year, realized, no, I want to be doing this type of thing for other students. And I would imagine when you were at the beach, there's really a sense of community. There was, and it was a community living time. We lived in a dilapidated beach house structure with 25 college students and five campus ministry staff and so we were learning the everyday um, ins and outs of what's it like to be with people and all of their glory and all of their annoyances and then we were also uh, we had a job on the boardwalk where we were encouraged to get to know other people and share Christ with them and then we were being mentored by campus ministry staff. Oh that's wonderful. One of the reasons I love that is for me that is one of the images of the body of Christ, you know, being together. One of the shortfalls I think of the American church is we think of church as, as you said earlier, Sunday morning, right? We come in, we sit down, we shake a few hands, have a donut, a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. and we go home. But that's not the that's not the fullness no. of the body of Christ. No, and even uh, Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, oh, yes. tells us that you know we're created to be in community and live life in community and um, in all of our brokenness and in all of our redemption. And I think the idea of community is actually, it started for me summer of 1991 when I was at the Beach Project, and that has set the trajectory of my life so that I say, you know, at times living in community, you know, having folks live with our family and such, or encouraging other students to be in community, that is a defining foundation for my life. Mm-hmm. And I got that from that summer. That's awesome. So. I'm not going to get the quote right, but I think Bonhoeffer makes the point in that particular book that we need to be able to be by ourselves and we need to be able to be together. And um, That's right. Yeah. yeah. So being you, able to be in solitude and being feeling complete when you're alone in Christ, but also understanding how community and all of its beauty adds to who we are. Solitude is the word I was looking for. You found it. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Okay, so that's a little bit about your story. Again, you've been here for, um, you said, 28, 30 years. Yeah, I spent the first two years in campus ministry out in Philadelphia and then came back to Malone in 95 and have been here ever since. Okay. 
can you tell us a little bit about how the student population has changed in that period of time? Yes. Oh, for sure. If you, I, I my perception is that every five years we need to take a hard look at who's in front of us with the student body and be willing to completely change our ministry plan, our I mean, ministry strategy. <laughs> just time, take a time out on that one. That is a beautiful thought, and I just want to put that into perspective of the church. Um, the culture does change pretty rapidly, and you know we as churches often think you know, we have a ministry plan that we put in place in 1961. Right. right. And, and But you do it every five years. I think every five years at least. I, I really think ministry plans and ministry strategy are based around two questions. Um, who are we serving? And, you know, what are their needs? That's one question. And then the second is how do we address those needs? And so we hold our strategy, our ministry planning lightly and often have to open up our hands and say, okay, Lord, is this the right plan for the right time to address these students' needs. And if it's not, it needs to change. Needs to so change. we actually have an, an annual assessment strategy <laughs> that we, um, um, we use surveys and conversations and planning. Is that something that was developed through you in the college or through you in CCO? Or? That was developed by me, by me because okay. <laughs> I think that it needs to happen the the college or the university does ask us to assess our office okay so just a little plug if anybody wants a ministry assessment annually talk to Linda because Ooh, Linda can yeah. put you in the right place I'm actually a little bit of a, a geek with it with Are assessment you? I really kind of like it but okay. we look at what are like students? notebooks and three ring binders? Oh, and, no, you know, we're okay. in the digital age. You're, oh, oh, come man. on, Matt. Okay. <laughs> um, but we just take a look at um, what are we doing? What are our students reflecting back that they see us doing? They tell us what their needs are. We observe also, you know, through each academic year, what are our students needing? And then each May, we say, okay, what just happened in that academic year? What do we need to change for the fall? But then about every five years, I do say, okay, who is in front of us? We need to look at them generationally. We need to look at um, huge things that have happened over time, like the pandemic. Um, but I have seen, if I just look over the last 30 years, for heaven's sake, I've, I've seen culture um, move into a, a post-Christian culture, um, so that the Judeo-Christian worldview is no longer an assumed dominant worldview of our students. I, we can say that nationwide, say that um, actually worldwide. Um, I've also noticed that biblical literacy in our students, even if they're Christian students coming, even if they've been through the church, grown up through the church, uh, biblical literacy is poor, and Barner, yeah, Barner Research says that's nationwide, and um, yeah, and then you just see changes in um, mental health needs, or rather their expression of their mental health needs, where it used to be that they didn't want to talk about that, that was taboo, now they're open about it, they want to address it, so that's just a few things that I've noticed. Okay, so I'm going to go back to 1997. That's the I, year is 1997. That's right, because that's the year I graduated from high school. So if I would have shown up right here in the fall of 1997, what would, ha what would have been the, the standard ministry outlook or the philosophy? or How did you approach ministry at that time? Sure. 1997. So we would have had 
twice weekly chapel services. Twice weekly chapel services. Right. So at that, Did that point, come with a card. A card. A card. A punch card. Yeah, like a punch oh. card. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of because we do take attendance. Oh, you do. Do you still do we that do. out of curiosity? We do take attendance. Okay. Yes, okay. we ask students to um, go to a certain number of attend. You know, these types of events. I'm every so semester. sorry to interrupt you. So. You had had twice weekly chapels. Twice weekly chapels, and that okay. would have been um, more, I would say, a typical church like service, even though we are not a church, but where students are in a large room. It's a, you know, scripture, sermon, prayer, singing. Um, there were there would have been between 800 and a thousand students all in that room at the same time. Oh my goodness! Because that was the that was the only large group type programming that we would have offered at that time. That would have been just around the time where we started thinking, hmm, maybe we should add some small groups into the mix, but didn't quite know how to do that when we really wanted students to all be together in that uh, chapel time. Okay. And that would have been right around the time where we started thinking cross-cultural trips are really key transformative times. Why don't we start thinking of sending more of those trips out so that um, we prep students in the months before they go and then we debrief with them when they come back and see how that will impact their whole life. So you had a lot of things there. One of them was kind of the, I don't want to say the assumption, but the reality that a thousand students would show up. Right. Well, and we had, you know, if you're asking students to go to most chapels, so they have just, you know, a handful that they're allowed to miss every semester where they, so they can choose we can expect that most of them will be in the room at the same time. Okay, so almost the whole campus was there. And as professors, would most professors come to those types of things? Or? Campus essentially pauses, would have paused during chapel, and faculty, staff, and students, uh, well, faculty and staff would have been encouraged to come, and but offices would have closed on campus just so that everybody had the opportunity. Okay, and out of curiosity, did you get a preach at that point? In time. At that point in time, I did not. I was still pretty unsure about my preaching skills. I think pretty quickly I learned that I love um, group facilitation, so small groups, groups up to 40 or 50. Um, preaching, I did preach, but I would say those probably aren't sermons we want to dig out of the archives. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, you had that large um, gathering twice a week. You said there was kind of s small groups that were going we on. We would have just started them, but they would not have been part of um, the opportunities that students could choose to go to um, in lieu of chapel. They I would see. have been asked to go to chapel no matter what, and this, and this would have been in an it. extra. Okay, and when you started those gatherings, how many students would come to those? Or how did that work out? Did you teach them how to study the Bible without an, somebody else to lead them? Did you give them curriculum? Mm -hmm. The smaller groups? Yes. Well, at first we trained um, leaders who lived in the residence hall, students who lived in the residence halls, how to lead a Bible study. And um, then faculty and staff, we asked them to join in. And so I would meet with them once a week. We would go over the curriculum. We would, I, I would write the curriculum. We would go over the curriculum together. Um, there would be a prompts for questions. We'd try to add kinesthetic learning, you know, making sure there was discussion and, and the group getting to know each other and such. Um, and then they would go and do. And then we would meet the next week, say, how did it go? Okay. And it would be that type of training. My goodness. 
That was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but you know, I really love writing curriculum. I really think that uh, smaller group study is key and a place where students could ask questions and in a chapel type setting. That was a beautiful worship service, but there wasn't an engagement where they could talk back. And so we were trying to have places where they could ask questions and talk back. This is one of the frustrations that I have with the church in general, is that it's a lot of rows pointed towards a front. Right, it is. And there's not a whole lot of engagement. Right. Yeah. yeah, even even having um, a church that I used to attend, we would look at the scripture readings that were going to be used at the worship service, um, maybe the one that was being centered upon for the sermon, and we would discuss those before going into the worship service, just to give us a broader sense of context. Hmm. And then in another uh, place I've gone, there would be something like that that happened afterwards, so that you're being asked to process it. And anytime you're challenging your brain to process information in a different way it further cements it in your neurobiology and so it's helpful to engage people in additional ways with additional learning styles oh my goodness so that was the 1990s we're some years later just a few just a few so you used to have two chapel services Mm -hmm. a week Mm -hmm. what are we doing now now we have about 240 different Small, oh, medium, and <laughs> large group opportunities. <laughs> you went from two gatherings yeah. to 240 opportunities. Uh, over this course of a semester. A semester, okay. Yes, I not a week. I am not a week. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, we would have had probably 27 chapels, period, um, in the late 90s. And we would have poured all our energy into that. And students would have been asked to go to 20 of those. Now we have... Uh, a menu of choices small medium large group type worship and learning settings and students are still asked to go to a certain number every semester but they can choose um, the setting they can choose a topic we ask them to just lean in a little bit and say what do you think you want to know more about or where are you at in understanding faith and life try to choose your SFO your spiritual formation opportunities we call them SFOs try to choose your programming accordingly Um, and so we engage students where they're at. I think a little bit better, but we still honor and we still want to have the chapel-like opportunity as well. So that has never gone away. It's just been added to with gatherings that have maybe 50 or 75 people or smaller groups that are more five to 15 people. Okay, so maybe I missed this point as I was trying to take it all in. It used to be two, now you do used to be two chapels a week. week. Now you have lots of opportunities. Yes. And how many official chapel services? One a week. Oh, one a week. Of that, okay. yes. Very good. And then how is that put together now? Is that something that you design? Is that something that students design? Mm-hmm. I work in a team I, for anything. It's never just me. I work in a team. And so there are two other full-time Malone staff that serve alongside and we have um, Adam who is our worship arts coordinator and so he would be responsible for um, the overall worship service and music and scripture selection. We work together on finding speakers or we speak ourselves. And then my friend Alicia serves with us and she puts together all of our small groups 
um, and that's been a trend. Okay. Small groups have been a trend that students want to go to more of those. So we, we come at it as a team. And do you still write curriculum for those small groups? I do write curriculum. Okay. A lot of my curriculum is around spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines these okay. days. But every now and then I do have a, I just want to attack book of the Bible and just figure out how would this book best be communicated to, learned hmm. by students. And so I'll just write a curriculum for that. So I'm just curious, when you put together a curriculum, let's just talk about one gathering. Is it designed to be like an hour, hour and a half, or mm -hmm. somewhere around there? How much paperwork w or would you hand them? Would it be a one-sheet type mm -hmm. thing, or would you mm -hmm. would you hand them a 25-page um, mm -hmm. dissertation with notes? How mm -hmm. do you do this? No, students are not very big on paper these days, but because I am an advocate of multiple learning styles, I do think having something to hold something visual, something audio, something kinesthetic, which just means there's movement involved or there's you know, a tangible thing that I can hold, like a marker or a piece of chalk or whatever, um, or artwork. All of those things are, are elements that I think of. So I would say I probably hand a student one piece of paper to take notes or there might be prompts on there if they choose to use that, if that's a way that they learn. I might also have something on a screen or um, on a whiteboard or um, just big pieces of paper on the wall. So what you're really saying, I want everyone to hear this real well, She's Linda's just describing that she's a wonderful pastor. <laughs> <laughs> I think, that's great. I think that I think um, basically spending my whole life in campus ministry, but in an, well, campus ministry says it, in ministry, but in an educational setting like a college campus, those two things have woven together for me. So I'm watching um, our faculty and their teaching styles, and I'm seeing students' learning styles and overlapping that with ministry. And so I think it's just been a morphing of my experiences on a college campus and really trying to understand how do students learn and receive information and and go from there yeah and really that's just a testimony that we need to see other people learn from other people yes. see what else is going mm -hmm. on i think one of the struggles we have in the church is sometimes our churches are little bubbles mm. you know pastors get mm -hmm. you know stuck um, in their little system elders get stuck in their little system it's mm -hmm. hard i was with a group yesterday and i said field trip field trip field trip and field trip and they looked at me and said we got it after the first field trip and i said okay when are we going on the next field yeah trip? right we had to go out we have to um, talk to people and learn okay so that is a good overview of kind of the ministry setting tell me what you love most about college ministry mm -hmm. well i would say um Staying up till 3 a.m. No way. I go to bed at old lady o'clock now. I cannot stay <laughs> stay up that late. Um, I used to. But I think one-on-one -on -one discipleship is probably my favorite, mm. um, even though some of the things I've mentioned, like small group discipleship or curriculum writing, I do love those. But I want to pause there and just talk about the, the evolution of that. So when you came in, it was really a large group ministry, 1,000 people. Here we are. Mm -hmm. And here you are now 30 years later and your favorite thing it's face-to-face, one-on-one. Yes, -face, it is. That's a beautiful idea. It is. And, that, that and that's large, the connecting point. Right. That large group still needs to be served, and we find ways to do that. But as I've grown more over the years and more comfortable and um, being able to listen to someone well and with the Spirit's help to discern what might be helpful next steps for them, 
Um, I think I've just settled into that pastoral one-on-one role of mentoring and it's probably connected to you know 30 plus years ago that's the way that I was connecting with God in a more radical way I grew up in the church you know and I went to a Christian school I went to Malone um, but I would say it was when those CCO campus ministry staff reached out to me and said hey do you want to meet let's have coffee let's process life Mm -hmm. that I started to realize there are so many rich layers of understanding who God is and and um what our lives of faith are about or are to be about. That I think so formed me that that's what I come back to and and most love to be able to do that for another person. That's wonderful. So you love to be with individual students, walk with them through their journey. Can you give us just a, a handful of examples of what a student might come in and say or some key moments in their life really what I'm looking for right now is what are the struggles of the average college student Mm -hmm. right now yeah um I would say mental health is a struggle um so nationwide for the college student age and we're seeing that and it's not just the college student age a lot of folks are struggling a lot of age groups um the pandemic does have something to do with it yeah, I remember during the pandemic or at the height of the pandemic, we were talking and you were saying how horrible it was for the students it's at that time. It's horrible. Is it yeah. still rough? It's, it's really hard. One of our campus counselors just this morning said that he's understanding that as hard as the pandemic was, let's just say for, our, for all of us, but for our college students, they did have to hold themselves together hmm. in a certain way. And now the time where they had to hold themselves together, it's, they're now releasing and they're coming apart. And so they had to be as resilient as they could be, get get as much help as they could during the pandemic. But now they're just sort of fraying. Okay. Um, and, and so that would be nationwide. And so I talked to a lot of students, depression, anxiety, past trauma, church hurt, uh, relational difficulties. I mean, just self-worth, you know, eating disorders, all mm. kind of things. So you see it all. Mm-hmm. How many students are on campus right now? Uh, About 700. 700 Mm -hmm. are here. And then we have a lot of commuters as well. Okay. So the student body is probably close to Mm 1,000 still? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And with that number, I know there's only one of you, and I know that you have some other staff around Mm -hmm. partners Mm -hmm. in ministry that you work with. How much of your time do you have the freedom to be with students kind of Mm -hmm. in that Mm one-on-one setting? I mean, are are you stuck in the... Sometimes when you work in a university, you're like on committee after committee after committee after mm-hmm. committee after committee, and you're like, oh, yeah, there's students here too. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? Um, that actually would be the case. It, you know, I am an administrator, so overseeing the department, I am on a lot of committees. You know, I am responsible for staff oversight and um, the pro- all the programmatic oversight, um, but I remain staff with the CCO is um, because I work additional time that's devoted to our evangelism and discipleship Um, so the work over you know overlaps with Malone and the CCO but adding that extra time makes me have dedicated moments to say I despite these other administrative duties I will be here to pastor Mm -hmm. I will go hang out at the games I'll hang out at the recitals we'll text students over the weekend we'll you know make cookies together we'll go out for lots and lots and lots of coffee um so all together is that like a job and a half what is, is that it is a job yeah, i and mean a half. it's maybe just a 
extra large job. It's an extra large <laughs> job. Okay. But, but I want to do that because my heart is for discipleship. And I, as I mentioned, you know, one-on-one discipleship is my thing that I will always revert back to. And I'm, and so I need to make myself available. Um, and just pastorally, I have had to push back against my, let's just say programmatic responsibilities, mm-hmm. even this semester and say, I can't do as much with that because more and more and more students are coming in and they need to talk. I may not even know them. They may just say, I need to talk to somebody. And so I need to have the flexibility in that moment to set aside whatever I'm doing and say, come on in. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to continue to do that next and that's semester. that's the more important work. I mean, it committee is. work needs to get done. I understand yes. that. But. but we work in a team. And, you know, we're not an island in at Malone. You've got faculty and staff who are all committed to faith integration. And so we network with our Bible theology ministry faculty, mm-hmm. our student development um staff and and really lots of different folks across campus to say hey this student has presented with a deep need how can we plural come around them and so we're not we're not alone it's not just up to the three of us in our office um, but we do instigate a lot of (laughs) a lot of the pastoral care and part of that is how they have you set up here right this is is this called the like the student center or what is this called here yeah it's it's called yeah, I think this would be our student center. It's called the barn. The barn. This was okay. a, an original county barn. Okay. And that's, I live in a barn, just to make that clear. <laughs> but there's lots of students coming and going. Oh, yeah, there's yeah, lots of students and, coming and through you're here. Not, what I'm trying to say is you're not hidden in some small little building or in the basement somewhere right. where no one can find you. Right, and we're just about in the center of campus. Students walk through all the time. Okay, very good. A couple more questions. One of them, one of the themes I want to work with is your understanding of ministry to people who are typically in the college age and what you would want the church to know mm-hmm. about them. Mm-hmm. So, I would, the first thing that comes to mind is a challenge a challenge yes i love this this is like eat as many hot dogs as you can in the next yes. 30 seconds yes challenge? that's okay. next that's okay. after we record this podcast um i think that campus ministry it well i know that campus ministry is distinct from senior high youth ministry um, the needs of the students the ways that they can learn the ways that they will hear pastors it's different Um, So what is the difference between the high school and the college age? um, High school, um, they're still thinking in black and white, whereas in college, cognitively, Uh, they're starting to think in the grays. They're starting to ask the major worldview questions on their own, which are, who am I? Where am I? What's wrong with the world? And what's the remedy? They're starting Mm. to look at any faith that they may have grown uh, grown up with and decide, what do I want to keep and what do I want to set aside and what do I want to add to? And what's just, helpful, what's not helpful. Right, yeah, they just have the brain development and the a little more age development. Um, and then they're asking different questions. You know, I'm learning this material. I'm about to go into the job world. I'm separating from my parents. I'm now adult with an adult with them. Hmm. So with that just comes ages and stages that are different. And I would also say campus ministry is different from your adult ministry. Even your young marrieds or your um, singles who are 25 and up, we'll just say, because their life um, looks different and therefore they're asking some different questions. We might all have the same base 
core of their life. Yeah, and the faith college questions. student isn't asking what's the best mortgage rate that I can exactly. get. Exactly, right? they just are a not. Different phase. They are not. Or what diapers do we? I mean, right. Most of us. Right. Is. So I would challenge the churches to say, how are our college students that are within our care distinct, and how can we serve them in a distinct way, um, so that they are not an extension of a youth group or they're not the youngest in an adult ministry, but there's somebody reaching out just to them. So the students know I am seen and I am heard for the for the age and stage that I'm in right now. So that'd be a challenge. Um, and I, w- I want to add to that that I would think, just from my interaction with college students, they would want to be appreciated for who they are, not what they can give. Yes. <laughs> right? You know, right. I, I think there is this this sense in churches where we have, you know, oh, look, there's a young college kid or a, a couple of college kids, and we just, like, latch on to them, and mm-hmm. we suck the life out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that um, your college students aren't going to be great tithers. They don't have a lot of extra time. You know, they just are there a lot. They need to receive maybe more than they can yeah, give. Yeah, they're still in that nurture phase. Yeah. Yeah, um, so just allow them to be that, and um, but also invite them to do those things, to do service, to to take part in you know a community service effort or a, um, putting together a worship service, and they may say yes, um, but not making an assumption that they'll be available. I think the college students benefit just as um, the youngers, anybody um, birth through youth group in intergenerational ministry and so having a mentor from uh, someone who's older um, than college age or um, folks coming in and, and just allowing college students to walk alongside them hey Somebody come over for dinner not their parents right yeah uh, it needs to be not their parents yes um, parents are great right and when i was in college i loved my parents mm-hmm. but still they were my parents right? yeah and there's a to need be to pe- hear other voices and other perspectives we we had 18 20 years or whatever it was listening to our parents right right so time to expand right and it can't be parent plants like hey matt will you just on the sly go touch base with my young adult child because I think they need help. It needs to be a genuine And, and inter- tell them these three right. points. <laughs> right. Don't do that. Um, or at least if you do, don't let the college student know that that's happening. Um, so, yeah, intergenerational ministry, mentoring, um, being really invitational, but understanding that the college student may not be able to give back time and tithe. Um at that point or they may but you know letting them just be who they are okay so i'm going to imagine that i am a 70 year old man and as a 70 year old man i have been dedicated to my church my entire life and i look in my church and i see that there is a gaping hole of younger generations so i pick up the phone and I call you and I say, hi, Linda. My name is Matt. I'm 70 years old. I don't have the same worldview as all of your college students, but I want to get involved. How would you help me frame something, not, as, not just as an individual, but as a church or mm-hmm. a group from the church to serve? What would you tell me to do? So I, I've mm-hmm. heard the, the mentoring piece. I've mm-hmm. heard the multi-generational piece. What would be the first step, I guess, is what mm-hmm. I'm asking. It's always helpful 
when a church is willing to come alongside the college um, instead of recreating a ministry that is separate from the college. So, you know, I'm speaking from a context where I'm, this is a Christian campus, we have ongoing ministries. Um, and so I'll have churches often that call in August and September with a new academic year to say, how can we get involved? How can we care for your students? And they want to create something that's completely their own. And I think there is merit in that But it's also helpful for a college campus, for a church to say, how can we come alongside and assist you? Um, How can we be part of what's already going on there? And so we'll have churches that'll drop by and help students to unload their cars during residence hall move-in day. Or we'll have um, churches that make cookies and hand them out during midterms and finals week. Um, Or We'll have churches that say, hey, we're having this speaker come on over to the church and we'll advertise it. We'll provide transportation. So just a a sense of coming alongside the college is helpful. Um, You don't always have to create something new at your church. Just being invitational can be the very first step. And when I look at what Jesus did um, in the Gospels, a lot of it was about invitation. You know, to his disciples, he was saying, come follow me. To the masses who were around them, they wanted to follow him because he was inviting them to a different way of life, to a different way of seeing. And so you, 70-year-old Matt, I would say... Who's bald, by the way. Who's bald. (laughs) Darn. Who would say, well, maybe more some gray coming into that beard. I'm bald and I'm not 70, so that's about it. <laughs> I would say um, have a posture of invitation and of collaboration with the college and just be willing to say, I'm in. Where can you use me? There's yeah. a couple things that come to mind. The first is, and this is something that I've heard in several interviews now, is the ability just to ask, how can I help? Right. So that is, actually, this is the third interview that it has come up with. That Mm -hmm. is wonderful. The second piece, and this is where I want to teach churches to be more strategic. So if you had a church who came along and they were here on freshman unpacking day, I would call that the first hello. Right. So that's one level. Right. At least in my mind, the next step is creating some additional act of service, maybe for a subset. Right. So you know your college students really well. You've identified a handful of common concerns. Let's brainstorm two or three ways that churches could serve students Mm -hmm. after that initial hello. Mm -hmm. So let's see here. One of the things you mentioned was mental health. Mm -hmm. How could... A congregation come alongside a college and minister to students to serve them in this regard. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I saw some things happen in the pandemic that were helpful. Um, we, and I, what she's also saying is, I saw some things in the pandemic. Yeah, that were not helpful. Right. Oh yes, there were some extremely. That's the next podcast. Okay. Okay. That's okay. Nice. But here's what happened with several area churches um, when we had students who were quarantined on campus, not allowed to leave a 10 by 12 residence hall room for two, two weeks. Oh um, so what we had were student or were churches saying, here are some care packages. Um, so here's some like good snacks. Okay. Here's some fun things to do. Like, you know, just 
whatever, games. Um, here are some gift cards for when you get out of quarantine to go mm -hmm. celebrate. Oh, and here's a card telling you about our church. And we want you to know, we may not know your name, but we're praying for you. Mm -hmm. And if you want, and when you're ready, come join us. Sure. We'd love to see you. Okay. And here's a contact number if you'd like to call to process what's going on with somebody. And so we would deliver those and students raved over them. They mm -hmm. felt so loved and cared for. And so... I'd have to think about this a little more, but within that, I see always the invitation to come join us, come join the body of Christ, because we want our students to learn what it looks like to have a lifelong role in the church universal. Hmm. But it's also, we see where you're at, and so here, <laughs> some snacks and some <laughs> gift cards. We want you to be seen and loved for where you are and what you're doing right now. And then also here's a number or here's an email address that if we can be helpful for you, if you just like to talk, we're here for you. Mm -hmm. um, and so those were some of the elements. And we'd have to think about how do those translate into times today where we're not needing to quarantine folks. Sure. Um, but I wonder, as with any ministry, and maybe this relates more to when I was talking about assessment and how we have to sometimes um, redo a ministry plan every five years. I think the key is letting go of what our expectations are or what we should get in return when mm. we're ministering and just saying, like, I think, I think the Spirit's leading me to do this. I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to let go of the results. Whatever comes, comes. Um, God's word does not return empty. And so if the spirit is prompting us, but as a church or as a ministry to just say, as an act of love and service, we do this. We do not expect anything particular in response, mm. but we do it because this is an extension of what we do as the body of Christ. There were a lot of wonderful thoughts there. One of the things that I really appreciated was this idea of saying, hey, we're available to listen, right? And so it, that doesn't take a whole ton of effort it might take a little bit of training because we're not always wonderful at listening but I have been in ministry long enough that I do know that many people some of their deepest core need is to be heard right and so just saying I'm here if you want me for coffee I'm here if you want to talk on the phone I'm here if whatever that is whatever you need I will sit here and I will listen I won't judge I won't give you advice, but, you know, I'll just, I'll receive it with some warmth and some love. I would think, you know, ministry-wise, it looks different maybe if it's, a, if you're near a college that is not a Christian college, they don't have an, some sort of extensive ministry plan already going on that you could come alongside. And maybe they do need churches to say, hey, the first Sunday after, uh, the first Sunday of every month after the worship service, we're having a lunch for whatever college students th show up. Or the first whatever of every month, we're going to serve really good coffee, emphasis on really good coffee, um, to whoever shows up at 7 p.m. Or we're going to go to the new student orientation and we're going to have a table where we just hand out snacks. The college students like food. I hope you're seeing that thing. <laughs> yes, I've um, heard this. <laughs> but so if you might be near a campus where it's really beneficial for you to say we can host this or we're going to have 20 families each of each family is going to adopt a college student for this semester and we're going to ask that student if they want to come over for family dinner once a month um, just a connecting point um, but really again it's, it's about listening what do these students need what does the campus need and being willing to be creative and flexible and so again there was that first hello 
and then we're trying to paint a picture that there's all sorts of room for service mm -hmm. and from service you let us into the need for community and fun right and so one of the things that crosses my mind that i think would be probably a helpful step if i was seven years old and just live 15 miles down the road and i, I own 20 acres I would say, hey, it's October. Mm -hmm. I love a bonfire. Bonfire time. That is Linda, would you right. love a bonfire? Right. Come on over. Right. And guess what? We'll have 10, 15 cars from our church come. Right. Pick the kids up. Excuse me. Pick the students yes. up. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and drive them on over and, right. you know, just let you have fun. Right. And maybe if that if that's a first invitation to the college, you might say, hey, who at the college could really use a break? Is it your student, mm -hmm. there are some student leaders that have just been working really hard? Is there a academic department whose faculty and students would want to come together? Um, so maybe there's a, a way to even um, focus in a little bit, um, but maybe not. If you got 20 acres and a big bonfire, invite as many students as you want. That's Just also have true. a lot of s'mores stuff when you're there. Lots of s'mores. <laughs> I was at a, a wedding for a family this summer and they had a huge bonfire mm -hmm. and the fire was so big that they had to get Ske wooden skewers that were like eight feet long <laughs> so that they could get the march probably, probably, probably a fire permit that's before right, a they fire, started. A fire permit to make sure that it worked out. So anyways, what I'm trying to communicate to the churches is this idea that we need pathways for people to come into the faith community. And the language that I've used, I'm not sure I had the best language, is we do a lot of shotgun ministry. What I mean mm -hmm. by that is we just throw a lot of things right. out there and we hope that there's something good that comes of it. Mm -hmm. But never the, never an idea of what's the next step for this person to help them right. grow or to welcome them into the, the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that's one pathway. Um, Let's come up with another pathway sure. real fast. So the first hello was the handshake. And the first one, let's come up with another first hello. Maybe the first hello is showing up at the cafeteria or showing up at the football game. Right. Games, recitals. Doing what? What would be the first hello? Uh, just, I would say, feel free to go up to students and say, hi, this is who I am. I think you did a great job today. By the way, I'm just down the road at this church. If you ever want to stop by, I'd love to see you. Okay. So, and that would be a, an individual first hello. Um, but I'm also thinking about how, how could you do that for the masses? So, for mm -hmm. example, when we, if we were to help students move in, mm -hmm. what we're doing is we're saying to the whole population, hey, mm -hmm. this is, that we could do this. Mm -hmm. So maybe, mm -hmm. ah, maybe the first hello is that the church calls the, Stu calls you yes. and says, mm -hmm. you know what, you're probably going to have some type of Christmas concert coming up. Mm -hmm. Can we throw a little party for them afterwards? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For right? all the musicians. For all the right. musicians. Mm -hmm. For all the musicians. And mm -hmm. so that would be mm -hmm. not the whole campus, but that's a sizable group, right? Okay, so that's the, that, that could be a first hello. And then the second question again would be, how could you serve that population? Sure. So let's jump into that. What would be another way that we could serve those specific students? Those specific students. My thought on campus ministry is that it's got to be relational in nature. And I often say that I develop a sincere friendship with students and then I earn the right to ask the hard questions. Hmm. And so I think that there is a lot more relational work that 
probably that needs to be done perhaps than we first think. And so that first hello might have to be a first and second and third hello and then an invitation um, until you are seen as someone who is going to stick around, who is trustworthy, who is sincerely loving. And for a church to say, hey, we're with you and we're going to keep being with you Mm -hmm. all semester or all academic year, Um, probably working with a faculty or a staff member, a student development office, a campus ministry office to say, hey, we're going to be here with you. Give us jobs. Let us um, hang around. And um, I would definitely say listen to what the students need. Listen to what staff and faculty say the students need and try to do those things. But also at the same time, be generous in offering the ways that your church is uniquely gifted and uniquely poised to serve those students, those faculty and staff, and offer those as well. So I'm thinking about one of our congregations in the area who has a well-known music ministry slash program, and they actually bring in outside groups all the time. I mean, just calling up the, the, after saying the first hello, maybe the second hello is inviting them to come to one of the the shows. Mm -hmm. Or we also have... I didn't realize this. I know that we have a symphony here in Canton. Yes. I was told it was actually a fairly decent symphony. It's a very good symphony, yes. And so, you know, maybe if you had 20 musicians, you had your first hello, the second hello is mm-hmm. taking a group of 20 musicians mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. and saying, let's just go have fun together. Let's right. listen together and then go out and let them tell you what they observed yes during that show yeah. let Whereas, them rub shoulders with the musicians yeah. or the instrumentalists and, and ask questions and a lot of students who are musicians here that's what they they want to do performance hmm. um, as part of their major or um, they want to work in a school or a church or an educational setting and um, i think celebrating one another and letting people know that they're seen um, and then just offering a chance for friendship mm. and letting them know you're going to stick around um, is is key. It's and what the I foundation. hear you saying in all this is that consistency. Yeah. And this is not just a, I'm here and I'm gone. Right. But I'm here today. Right. I'll be back. I'm available. Yes. I'm back again. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, instead of a church who says at the beginning of an academic year, hey, we want to get your students to our church, um, can we come on campus hmm. once or can we just advertise our that our church is down the street well that's fine that's fine do you want to develop an ongoing campus ministry though well that takes relationship and invitation so work find the strategic people on the campus to say to the administrators to say how can we serve and then serve through them and if if you're in it for the long haul say we'll be in it all semester we'll be in it all academic year every month we're willing to do something hmm. let us know what that is that's a wonderful idea one of the things that i see churches do on a fairly regular basis is they want to do some form of outreach but it's not the consistent outreach it's a hello it's a first hello and then they walk back and they say well that didn't work <laughs> <laughs> yeah right? and then they get sure um, they get upset and it just because, I don't know if I ever told you this story. I will never forget this. I was serving a church that was planted in the 60s. And the way that that church started, you could never do this today. It started, they put a little 
advertisement in a newspaper about an inch and a half by an inch and a half and said, Presbyterians starting a new church on such and such a day. And that first Sunday was like 250 people just show right up. Wow. Right? And um, that's not the culture we live in. No, it's a post-Christian culture. It's a post-Christian yes. culture. And so it takes a lot more intention mm-hmm. and a lot more effort mm-hmm. to build those relationships that will come. It, it's just not there anymore. Right. It's just not. And I think that college students, you know, they're working on figuring out what the truth is with the lower case T. Um, and we're trying to mm-hmm. tell them what the truth is with the capital T. It was Jesus the Word, and they have a lot of competing narratives, and a lot of those narratives have the same weight nowadays. We can't assume that the narrative of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, or the person of Jesus Christ is given more weight than any other lowercase t truth that they find appealing. That's just where we are. Um, That doesn't need to be anything that's discouraging. It just means that we need to see who's in front of us and realize that we as people bring the body of Christ and we have to show up in different ways than we used to. I love that you say that this is shouldn't be discouraging. One of the things that I have been enamored with in this period of history that we're walking through is I think when we talk about a Christian culture that Christianity, that church was tied to the power centers of the world? Very much so. One of my favorite things that I learned recently was that Calvin paid his pastors from gold that was melted down from the Catholic Protestant Oh, wars. wow. <laughs> right, and then you look back at Europe and you think, like, where did all these big cathedrals come from? Mm-hmm. They weren't the paupers who were giving, you know, couple shekels here or there it was mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the king's money it was the tax money that built a lot of these types of things and we've been used to that but the beautiful thing right now is that we're in a period of time where we are being welcomed back into that community of love and openness and intentionality mm-hmm. which we have been afforded the luxury of being away from mm-hmm. for now so that's one of my celebrations. Before we go, I know you have um, some of your favorite books in front of you. Oh. Is there anything in those that just strikes your fancy that mm-hmm. you want to pass along? I did bring some books, and it is to encourage us to know who's in front of us. And so because I work with college students, I... Um, want to understand the generation of college students who is in front of me. So I like a lot of what Barna Research does and the generation of college students who are currently in undergraduate school, so that would be students age 17 to 23 right now, are called Generation Z. Um, But what Barna Research does is identify who is this generation, what are their motivations, you know, generally what are their descriptors, but also how can we help them to become resilient um, daughters and sons of Christ? How can we teach them to be resilient disciples? So Barna has some great tangible steps for churches to help develop disciples of this next generation. And those books are called Gen Z Volume 1 and Gen Z Volume 2. And Barner Research has a, an online presence where they have lots of uh, research that's specifically 
useful for churches. So um, programs or articles or guidelines for churches to use with their college students. So they're tools that are usable right off the bat. Um, Fuller over in California has a lot of great um, resources and tools as well with their Sticky Faith initiative. And then the last book I have in front of me. Oh, go ahead. Sticky Faith, is that out of the same line of thought of like sticky teams and or yes yeah. okay yeah okay. yeah so i'm familiar with some of that yeah. and the, you have another one yeah i have another one and um, it's not a, a faith-related author but it's a sociologist gene twangy and this book is called i gen lowercase i and then capital g e n now it's about five years old but what it does is it studies this generation of college students and calls them i gen which is related to Um, the iPhone. So just understanding that students are digitally connected. They have grown up with devices, phones, most likely in their hand or around. And that has shaped our students um, in significant ways. Yes, it does. One of the things that I observe, I have two teenagers right now and I watch them with their devices. And there's a social media platform called TikTok, which has some good things and some bad things. But one (laughs) I can't believe the amount of time and energy that a 14-second, a 15-second little video will suck into their life. And they they get so excited about, I would call them silly videos, maybe stupid videos, but they love them, right? And they want to share with them. And so I have to, like, okay, this isn't necessarily entertaining for me. Right. (laughs) I will sit here as best as I can. Sometimes I'll say not right now, right. but um, it, it is a different way of thought, different mm-hmm. way of life. And that's not only a form of entertainment, it is a form of communication. It is. How they, they share their life, how they view um, their story. You know, so even I have um, a young athlete who was finishing up a season. At the end of the season, they had this tradition where they go and they do one last athletic move right you know and it was set to music and put on tiktok and you know mm-hmm. it just it, it's how the world is it is but you know what um i always tell people and i would want to tell the churches that you don't have to compete with the technology um so yes our college students and um younger are well not just that those age groups are very digitally connected but people have an inner longing to unplug and that is achieved through relationship and so i teach a class called slow down and be quiet it is a faith integration class that teaches students spiritual practices to slow down and be quiet Mm -hmm. and one of those practices is unplugging which means um you know set your phone your devices down for a while or just be intentional technology is not bad iPhones are not bad devices are not bad how we use them sure. is what we need it's to pay like attention anything else, to money right power. right yeah. and so students when we do the unplugging practices express relief hmm. always hmm. that their phone was not dictating their life and so I just want to say to churches you yeah. don't need to worry about competing with technology you don't have to have bigger better or, oh if it's not digital they're not going to like it be your authentic relational self and students just like anybody has this core longing for relationship and community and it, they will respond in the longing for silence and sometimes we just need to provide the space right for it. I'll tell you a ministry that I did with 
elementary school kids, this would have been over 10 years ago, and I forget the official name of it, it doesn't particularly matter, but it was a lot of silence. And I talked to the parents about it, and they all said to me, they looked at me and I said, Matt, you are crazy. What in the world are you thinking of? My kids are not going to come to something quiet. And it had different stations. And there was a prayer station, and there was like a sand station. One of them was a gazing station. <laughs> the only thing they did for 10 minutes was look at a picture of Jesus. Yes. And my goodness, those kids, third grade, sixth grade they would come and they loved it they do and I, i've done some of the similar exercises okay. with my students college level had them gaze at artwork or a seashell and to teach them that you your mind can slow down mm. you can be focused on just one thing and it's okay and it actually can be beautiful yeah we have a prayer labyrinth on campus and i would extend the invitation to anyone who listens to this podcast to come to malone and use our prayer labyrinth and it's uh, another tool that we use to say um, you can set aside everything else for a while and just focus on this one beautiful thing and you will find peace. Yeah, and there's a sense of, oh, there's a beauty in being quiet. Right. <laughs> right. I can think. I can process. I mean, providing that space is really important. That's actually not the point I thought we would close on, but right. it's a beautiful point <laughs> to close on. Linda, thank you so much for sharing time with me. I would love to come back and interview again at some point. Actually, maybe if you let me, we'll grab a couple students. Oh, anytime. I would like to show off our students anytime we can get because I love them so much. I want to hear you know, just their stories. Great. About what's going on. All right, we'll do it. Will you close us in prayer? I will. Thank you, Linda. Abba Father, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about the ways that you are at work with college students. and. Lord of life, I know you are present among them, drawing them to you as you are drawing all of us to you. And I pray that you would give all of us an imagination for how to serve and how to love and how to grow in relationship with others. I pray that you would remind us that we each have gifts that we can share. We each have so much value that we can share and just share who we are with others and that all of us are a part of your kingdom at work and i thank you for allowing us to be part of the building of the kingdom of god pray in the name of father son and holy spirit amen amen thank you so much linda as you can hear linda is a blessing and has been a blessing to thousands of college students over the years Listening to her, she loves her students and that she works hard to provide opportunities for college students to grow and be nurtured in the Christian faith. If you would like to talk to Linda about how your church can reach a new generation of young adults and grow them in the faith, please write me. My email address is matt, M-A-T-T, at intersectpodcast.org. Likewise, if you want to help to develop a ministry pipeline or funnel that reaches the masses and welcomes people in to be a vibrant part of your Christian community, I would jump at the opportunity to take the time and to walk you through the process that Linda and I explored today. I'll talk to you soon. May God bless you. May God keep you. Amen.